What is up, Kangaroo Chasers, and welcome to another edition of the OG International Rugby League Podcast, the original and the best, dare I say. I'm your host, of course, Michael Carboni. You can call me Carbs. And this episode today was inspired by a question from Instagram, a regular listener, at JN Idol. He asked, is the game growing or declining in New Zealand? What needs to be done to compete with union for player talent? And I thought I could try and answer these questions, um, but probably better to get someone on the ground, in the thick of it, understands sport across New Zealand, league in particular. So reached out to my new friend, Scott, from the Niche Cache. Welcome to Chasing Kangaroos, mate. Morning, happy to be here. Yep, good morning. We're recording this bright and early my time, a little bit mid-morning your time, which is great. Of course, you're there in Auckland. Um, mate, firstly, um, I only just discovered you guys. So Niche Cache, um, good follow on Twitter if you're not already. Um, but you tell me you guys have been doing this for 10 years. Um, let the listeners know. Like, I'm, I'm looking for a pulse on New Zealand Rugby League. What is Niche Cache? Why am I talking to you? Uh, the Niche Cache is... It was basically designed just to fill a void in a lot of New Zealand sports coverage. And funnily enough, there's no rugby union. So we viewed that as a point of difference. And then we just really love New Zealand. We love New Zealand sport. And we just want to fill that void with as much as much quality information as we can. So in rugby league, it's giving people realistic expectations around the Warriors is a key one. And... <laughs> just trying to cover like a lot of the junior stuff that isn't reported on um, and a lot of the stuff we do for rugby league we also do for cricket we also do for football basketball and just a lot of the sports that don't fall under the mainstream media's rugby union and netball coverage beautiful i actually really like that i didn't realize in all this time because i, I must admit i mainly read your rugby league stuff your warriors related stuff um, so I didn't even notice you don't report on Rugby Union, to be honest with you. But that makes sense, right? Niche cache, so looking at what are the sports that don't get as much as much coverage as the big two over there, which is Union and Netball. Um, is that So did you guys start basically... Did you did Your conscious decision to not report on Union, for example, is that because you felt that you might be drowned out with all the rest of the noise and you wanted to... I guess it's similar to Chasing Kangaroos, right? We could have been an NRL podcast but there's a hundred of those. But, you know, when we started, we're really the only international rugby league pod. So very similar story, I'm guessing. Yeah, and it's, we always want to be a bit different. So the same with you, you want to have a point of difference. And I, I'm pretty confident that if we did rugby union coverage, it would be different to a lot of the other uh, mainstream media coverage of union, but it's kind of about servicing some of these other sports that don't get the recognition. So um, not to sound corny, but that it gives us a bit of purpose to what we do as well. I love that, man. It's really good. And um, so would you say, obviously you're right across every sport over there, would you say you're a Warriors fan? I try not to be right now. Okay, why is that? It's, <laughs> um, it's just taken a lot of, uh, a lot of growth to try and take the emotions out of it because I, I think emotions are part of massive part of Warriors coverage and how people view the Warriors. So yeah. I, like I've been to Mount Smart as a kid. I've learned my vocabulary has expanded as a kid at Mount Smart <laughs> Stadium. Like 
Yep. I've gone through those whole experiences, but to do the best coverage, I definitely had to learn about my emotions with the Warriors and yep. then try to separate that and just provide the basic coverage of what the Warriors are up to and some you know, everything about them. Beautiful, mate. That's actually a good answer. So you you, you know that we don't we see especially in NRL commentary, there's always bias towards the team, there's always emotion towards the team, depending on who the commentator played for, supported, etc., etc. So you got to try and keep unbiased in your coverage. That's awesome. I um, mean, I want to get straight into it. So the question was, you know, from at Jay Endall on Instagram, he wants to know about the game in New Zealand. Is it growing? Is it declining? How do we compete for talent? Um, I want to get your general thoughts first and foremost, and then we'll dig a bit deeper. So the pulse of rugby league in New Zealand, what's it like? Because we hear that it's growing, it's not growing, it's better than it was, it's 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 been better before. Um, there's a lot of mixed sort of news coming from across the ditch our way. Um, tell me from, from the ground in Auckland, you know, what is the pulse of rugby league in New Zealand? I'm very happy that you that's your main question because I believe it's thriving. I believe it's it's booming. Although I don't think it's different to other sports in New Zealand, I think a lot of sports are in a massive growth phase. But specifically for rugby league, is definitely growing. I am in Auckland, but part of what I see is a lot of junior talent from other regions, Christchurch, uh, the Waikato region, Wellington, Northland. A lot of players from those regions are getting opportunities in the NRL and below the NRL. And considering the pandemic and how that impacted all sports, specifically the Warriors and New Zealand Rugby League in this context, I think Rugby League in New Zealand is thriving right now and poised to keep growing. Love it. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, Let's dig a little bit deeper. So is it thriving? And you sort of, I think you touched on this well, right? So we had a pandemic. New Zealand was kind of cut off from the rest of the world. From an NRL perspective, the Warriors were, were you know, unable to go home for a couple of years. Um, and we're seeing, this in, like, we're seeing this in terms of business, in terms of travel, and certainly in terms of sport where pandemic was a rough time. But now that the world is back to normal, we're seeing a lot of areas in life sort of just explode. Like travel is exploding again for obvious reason. It's expensive to do, but people are still doing it. You know, we saw property booms because people had extra cash. But, you know, from a sporting perspective, is this why? So is this normal? You, you mentioned every sport is thriving. Is it just that everyone's happy to be out and about again and, and sport being outdoors, being a part of, of a team? Like that's just something we all were hungry for for a couple of years. Is that what you put it down to? Or is it, is it something else? I think... It- this was the case before the pandemic. A lot of sports were growing in New Zealand, um, especially outside the rugby union context, like uh, basketball is massive. Mm. You're seeing men's and women's football, men's and women's cricket. Like if Each one of these sports is growing from the traditional New Zealand. And I think it's similar with Australia, but maybe not rugby union. Um but there's all these other sports that are growing in popularity due to the internet, due to access, due to highlights, and kids just see they have so many opportunities in other sports. I I actually think the impact of the pandemic on the Warriors and 
to some extent, New Zealand Rugby League was understated. And this is something I've thought a bit about because everyone loved what the Warriors did in moving to Australia. But when push came to shove with regards to wins and losses, that was never really... Excuses might not be the wrong word, but that was never thrown up as like a caveat to what the Warriors were doing. Um, so I think a lot of Australians and rugby league fans were happy the Warriors moved to Australia, but they might not have been aware that the Warriors had an SG Ball team, New South Wales Cup team, a women's team before the pandemic. During the pandemic, all those teams were basically deleted. And yet the Warriors maintained their business, they're a profitable business, they survived, and now they return to New Zealand um, with the connection to community as well because I think that's a massive one for the Warriors and the community because all those games, the Warriors didn't have any home advantage. The Warriors couldn't hand-to-hand connection with their fans, with their community, and I, I believe they had a massive impact on their footy even though like, I do separate my fandom and I, I, I wear two kind of caps. I have the Warriors cap and I have the Kiwi NRL cap. So I can differentiate both of them. But from a realistic perspective, like the pandemic had a huge impact on the Warriors as an organization, their systems, and ultimately their success or lack of. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and I mean, I saw that. Um, I don't know if the average NRL fan saw that. They probably just thought, you know, it's an easy win for my club when the Warriors come around, you know. But it was definitely a, a difficult time. And you, you think about, you know, at the start of the pandemic, we had, you know, a guy like Gus Gould about to be heavily involved in the Warriors and pathways and things like that. And we've seen what he has done at the Roosters. Uh, we've seen what he has done at Penrith. Uh, we see what he's trying to do now at the Bulldogs. And not saying that he's solely responsible for for opening pathways and junior development and and the success of these clubs today, but there's no doubt that you know, like him or hate him, um, where he where he is or where he ends up, um, you know, he ends up leaving it in a good place and it and it stays good for for a while. Um, so that was something that I guess was about to start happening for the Warriors that you know COVID sort of took away, um, and now we're in a position where the Warriors are back. Um, they're looking at pathways. Um, what, what's the popularity there? Like Warriors coming back for a couple, after a couple of years, there's got to be a good vibe and a good buzz, am I right? It's massive. Like they'll, the Warriors have an SG ball game this afternoon, Sunday, in Auckland, and there'll be a you know a couple of fans will be there. The community will be there. Any Warriors stuff that I'm putting up right now gets massive views on you know from social media and on the website. Uh, the Warriors, they went to Christchurch last weekend, yeah. and in Christchurch, which is Crusaders, that is, uh, I think the Christchurch-Canterbury pocket of rugby league is an interesting one that we might discuss later on, because that is like rugby union heartland, but now you're seeing a lot more rugby league there, but there were 12,000, 11,000 fans at a preseason game in Christchurch, so I believe a lot of people are anticipating Warriors footy in New Zealand. I think one of the early games, maybe their first game, is going to be in Wellington. You're probably going to get ten to 15,000 people there as well. And that's the baseline. Uh, 
attendance that you can expect at Mount Smart. You might get fifteen to 20,000 people, depending on the weather. So I think the popularity of the Warriors and Rugby League in general is kind of a, a sleeping beast. And I guess the Warrior, what you've sort of highlighted to me there is because the Warriors were very much an Auckland team. You know, obviously, for obvious reasons, it's where they where they're based. It's, you know, they used to be the Auckland Warriors, um, probably South Auckland, good rugby league communities, you know, Māori and, and, and Polynesian communities as well, really getting behind rugby league um, from, a, from a junior age. Um, but now it, it appears that it's kind of like they're New Zealand's team. You know, you, you mentioned they go to Christchurch, there's a crowd. They, go, they can go to Wellington, there's a crowd. They can go to Rotorua, there's a crowd. They can go to, like, you know, Waikato, there's a crowd. Is are the Warriors, you know, would they be considered New Zealand's team now, not just Auckland's team? That is, like, that's a tricky one. It gets into a lot of the, the psyche and the emotion and the fandom of rugby league and Warriors fans in New Zealand. I, They are the New Zealand Warriors now, although I don't know if they are specifically New Zealand's team. Because yep. if you go to, like, in that Christchurch preseason trial, you're going to see other NRL jerseys at that game. They were mm. playing the Storm, so you might see a Roosters jersey, a Sea Eagles jersey. There's still, and I think this is the strength of rugby league in New Zealand. There are a lot of rugby league fans in New Zealand who they might follow the Warriors and they might go to Warriors games because that's the closest these people can get to NRL football. But they support other teams. They follow other teams. Uh, one of their family members, like a, an 18-year-old kid, might be in the Roosters system or might have gone to the Cowboys system. So they've got a different reason. Or back in the day, Matthew Ridge went to the Seagulls, so they mm. support the Seagulls because they followed that. So like, I believe the Warriors' popularity is is a strong factor in New Zealand rugby, but the, the support that Australian teams do receive, for whatever reason, can't be understated either. Interesting. It's similar to, I guess, the Broncos in the early days where, you know, if you look at a lot of older rugby league fans in Brisbane and Queensland, you'd, you'd still find, like, Dragon supporters or Manly supporters or, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, as they start to, you know, as we start to include more Queensland-based clubs, that's a difference. And, and we'll talk a little bit about expansion in New Zealand, like maybe a second New Zealand team in a moment. But I want to stay on the Warriors because um, we mentioned sort of Phil Gould and Pathways and, and that being a missed opportunity. But, you know, under under Andrew McFadden now, there seems to be a bit of a pathway plan. And to me, that's huge because, you know, we talk about, you know, the Panthers and the Eels and clubs like that having huge junior bases, but that's nothing compared to what the Warriors essentially have. Like, they've got a backyard of, you know, five or six million people. Um, there's potentially some great pathways and, and a lot of junior players that probably miss out on opportunities because... You know, if you don't get discovered by the Warriors and you don't get accidentally discovered by, you know, the Roosters or the Storm or something like that, then, you know, there's probably limited opportunities for players. So being able to uncover the best young rugby league talent and keep them in rugby league is a big thing. Um, obviously, New Zealand Rugby League has a bit to do with that, but I, I think the Warriors need to be, you know, the main drivers of this. Um, what are your thoughts on, on Andrew's plans and, and what's happening at the moment and what's being changed from a Pathways perspective? Just a quick word on your setup there because I need to put my Kiwi NRL hat on and make it clear that every NRL team treats New Zealand as their backyard. Mm. 
every NRL team treats New Zealand. And it's the same like out of state. Like the Bulldogs are recruiting from Queensland. The Storm recruit from New South Wales, Sunshine yeah. Coast, wherever. But they all treat New Zealand as a catchment area as well. So like, not to pick on what you said, but the you mentioned accidental. Whereas on the ground in New, Ze- New Zealand, you're seeing Broncos academies. You're seeing Brewster's academies. You're seeing... Uh, the Cowboys are very good at recruiting from regions in, out, in New Zealand, Aotearoa. Mm. Uh, the Storm have a great record of specific recruitment in New Zealand. And a lot of that is regional tournaments around New Zealand. Like There's so much more South Island talent that is being scouted. Uh, I've got at least four dudes from the South Island who are playing SG ball every week in Australian teams. And, and one with the Warriors. So there is that idea as well. And I, I do I do love the Kiwi NRL aspect as well. So I do like highlighting that um, there is fantastic pathways, and a lot of it is just to put these kids, these juniors, on a pedestal, pedestal so they can be seen. A lot of that comes from, like, Māori tournaments. Yep. So these, these kids will play and represent their iwi, their tribe, and NRL scouts are at those tournaments. NRL scouts are recruiting from First 15 Rugby Union. They're recruiting from schoolboy tournaments, uh, regional tournaments. And to come back to the Warriors, I like to say the two Andes, because we got Andrew McFadden, Andrew Webster. So the two Andes are doing a great job in building out that pathway which you're talking about because they just announced they're going to re- they're going to start a Harold Matthews team and a Jersey Fleet team. So this year they they have a SG Ball team playing right now. They're going to have a New South Wales Cup team and they've got an NRL team. Next year they'll have Harold Matts, SG Ball, Jersey Fleet, New South Wales Cup and NRL which I am intrigued at how that impacts the Kiwi NRL recruitment because they just they like you're saying the kids can stay in New Zealand like that to play under 17s which I think Harold Matz is Mm. you can stay in New Zealand and play that level of footy in New South Wales which is a great opportunity you're still going to have all the NRL teams recruiting from New Zealand but the Warriors simply have more spots available in their pipeline and I've got it up here on my Twitter timeline because I did tweet this out. Like 2018, you had Jersey Flag, New South Wales Cup, and NRL. Start of 2020, just before the pandemic, that was the first SG Ball team for the Warriors. So they had SG Ball, New South Wales Cup, and NRL. During the pandemic, that got cut down to maybe 20 to 25 players from the Warriors joining Redcliffe. So the Warriors could only sprinkle some players into Redcliffe mm. under-21s, Redcliffe, Malmeninga Cup, which was under-18s. And now, and that had a massive impact because like, the Warriors just don't have that many roster spots in their junior system. So when they had an SG Ball team, they might have 25 kids in their SG Ball squad. During the pandemic, they lose that team and they have to choose five players to go to Redcliffe. So then all those other kids get picked up by the other NRL teams. Not necessarily. The Warriors do have to assess talent and choose players they want. But yeah. it's just they, they basically had their junior system spots available cut in half. 
And so the kids are just going to go to Australia for that opportunity. But that will change, as you said, with Andrew McDadden coming in. SG Ball teams playing that well right now. And then next year, you might have... Next year, you're just going to have the Warriors operating the same way the Panthers do. The Roosters, but the Warriors are a whole different grade, they say. Um, a team and a... and Harold Matt, so they've got two. Hey, Scott, can you hear me, mate? I think I'm just losing you. Yeah, yeah gotcha. Yeah, can you hear yeah, you got Yeah, all good, man. Um, it It's wonderful, right, that, that the Warriors are able to put these pathways together now, and it's super important. I mean, when you explain it that way, it's, you know, obvious... To when when we think about you know we just had a World Cup and there was probably one Warriors player in that Kiwi squad and you go how does this happen well it's obvious how that happened you know the, the pandemic was difficult and you know there was hardly a, a Warriors squad coming through um, but now that's about to change and I really like that and I I think it's important for the Warriors to try and keep the best Kiwi players in in New Zealand and when you think about psychologically you know the young your young kids that you know they might be from Maori or, or Polynesian heritage and family so important and so being with family at a young age is, is probably important part of their development as well so instead of having to leave to go to Melbourne or go to or go to Sydney or go to North Queensland they can they have an opportunity to stay at home if they're good enough and and then it's up to the Warriors to make sure they're keeping the best the best talent that they have which is always a struggle you know you see some of the best players going to, to other clubs in the NRL and that's not a new problem you know I had a I, I interviewed um, Robbie Hunter-Paul not long ago and and you know he and his brother are two players that probably should have played for the Warriors but never did and you know this is 20-30 years ago so it's not a new problem but you know it's something they need to try and solve because I know you're gonna you're gonna be you know it might be hard for you not to be emotional about what I'm going to say next but I think it's really important for rugby league in New Zealand that the Warriors win a grand final soon. I I agree with everything you're saying. I I will I, I will say that I don't think the Warriors represent rugby league in New Zealand. Okay. So I'm not sure if that's a hot take or. No, I love that. Ex- like expand on that for me, because yeah, don't be afraid. Yeah, don't. I, like, I love that you're not afraid to challenge my what I'm saying too, because that's what you're here for. So I love that. <laughs> um, like the like you mentioned, there was one Warriors player at the World Cup when they played Tonga mid-year. There were no Warriors players in the team. Yep. And I viewed that as fantastic. And I, I'd, I'd say I'd flip it around. I'd say that represents the strength of rugby league in New Zealand. Mm. Um, that you can have a competitive Kiwis team let alone the best Kiwis team ever maybe like mm. the players in that team are amazing and there's no Warriors there and when you look when you break it down James Fisher-Harris is from Northland he's from uh, west of Bangarei Joseph Manu is from Tokoroa which is the Waikato uh, Joseph Tarpane is from Wellington Jordan Ricky is from Christchurch Griffin Neen is from Greymouth, which is it is a rugby league kind of heartland on the west coast of the South Island. So a lot of those best players for the Kiwis, they are not from Auckland. And 
I like yeah you want the Warriors to have the best players but even so the Warriors might have five teams Howard Matz SG Ball Jersey Flag New South Wales Cup and NRL all those teams could be filled with new, with players from New Zealand and there's still going to be an overflow of players with Australian teams that rise up through the ranks and go to NRL so that I think when I'm saying like rugby league is thriving and rugby league is booming in New Zealand, that is the clearest example of it where you can have the best, the most talented Kiwis team that I've ever seen and the Warriors have a very little, small presence in that team. Um, and a lot of those players, like they come from regions, they come from communities and they grow up playing rugby league at a grassroots level. So, they don't necessarily, like, that community doesn't need the Warriors necessarily. They know, oh, my cousin Joe Tarpane plays NRL for this team, and they're only, you know, a couple degrees of separation away from NRL. I love that take, man, um, because to me that says, or or that dispels what I felt, which was that the Warriors are very important. Well, they are important, don't get me wrong, but yeah, yeah. the New Zealand Rugby League is bigger than the Warriors. And I think that's important, right? Because the Warriors are a major part of that. They may, might be the heart of that, especially in Auckland, but there's so much more to it. And I love that take. Um, it's really cool. And it gets me thinking because, you know, a topic that comes up a lot is, you know, we've got 17 teams in the NRL. We're going to need 18 soon. Uh, to me, a second team in New Zealand makes a lot of sense. And there's probably there's a couple of things, right? So I had a chat on this podcast, I think it was exactly two years ago, um, with um, Greg Peters. So the head of New Zealand Rugby League, and I asked him, you know, is New Zealand ready for a second team? He said it might not be a financial viability right now. And this was just before COVID or just around COVID, so things may have changed. Um, you look at, you know, other areas that could have that 18th NRL team spot. So you look at a place like Perth or Adelaide, and these are cities in Sydney where, you know, populations are bigger than, say, Christchurch or maybe even Wellington. So you think, okay, who deserves the rugby league team more but but listening to you say that like to me i'm i'm a big proponent of you know i, I think we need a second team in new zealand i think it makes a lot of sense um we'll touch more on you know an area like christchurch which has a lot of potential you know a lot of union background but there's potential for league there and despite the population being smaller than say perth there's probably more potential for for players and for fans in a place like christchurch than there is in a place like perth just because union versus league very similar whereas union uh, league versus AFL very different but uh, obvious reasons there but listening to you speak about you know the you know every NRL club you know treating New Zealand as as a nursery and and you know players you know talking about the New Zealand team the Kiwi side you know having no 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 warriors in it do you agree that we need a second team in New Zealand or or could it keep going the way it is and and work quite well yeah definitely that comes with a heavy dose of bias obviously um, so I'll take the bias out and I'll just refer to what the NRL what they have said publicly I think they have stated a few times they want a team in New Zealand and they're exploring that option and I believe they would only say that and hint at that if their data behind the scenes 
kind of confirm that or reinforce that. So, like, we're in this kind of space. Like, we always check in maybe podcast data or social media data or engagement data. And yeah. I think the NRL would be looking at their social media data, um, engagement, where their views come from. And the NRL is hugely popular in New Zealand. So, again, like the Warriors are popular, but the NRL is a popular sport. It's an entertaining product on TV. It, it comes on. like So Super Rugby just started right now, but there not, might not be a Super Rugby game that Kiwis are interested in at 9 p.m. at night because that's the time zone where some NRL games are on. And like People will watch NRL people love NRL in New Zealand so I believe the NRL is hinting at this because they see that they feel that and they probably view it as a good business practice um, so specifically like where that team happens I'm not sure they'll they'll have to you know find ownership and all that stuff but I do believe that if the NRL is hinting at it and they sh- they basically showed this with Redcliffe we got hints about Redcliffe for a few years yeah. before they came into the picture and I think that act- that recipe would probably work for an expansion team in New Zealand because Redcliffe isn't like the Warriors played there so you got to see their stadium quite a bit like that is uh, more of a boutique kind of suburban stadium and it's not a Brisbane Broncos are the Brisbane Broncos, North Queensland Cowboys are North Queensland. Redcliffe, having lived in Brisbane for a, a year and basic knowledge of Brisbane and Southeast Queensland, like Redcliffe is an area in Brisbane. So it is quite a boutique kind of club, boutique stadium. And I think that, I, that would work well in New Zealand. So the big stadium in Wellington with all the yellow seats, I'm not sure how that would look for an expansion team because you're probably not going to fill that stadium out. The yellow seats just highlight how empty the stadium is. But if you could get an expansion team at a smaller venue and that venue sells out and there's a connection with the community, I think it would work extremely well. Yeah. Uh, look, I think the NRL's hinting and when the NRL, like you said, when they hint, it's it's probably very likely that New Zealand's getting that second team sooner rather than later. Um, Redcliffe, good example. I mean, Redcliffe Dolphins have a history as long as, like, the Parramatta Eels, you know, in, in Q Cup. So, you know, they came with with history, culture, perhaps fans, um, a system, a stadium, et cetera, et cetera. And we could replicate that potentially in New Zealand because obviously, you know, the, the, the All-Golds were playing rugby league before the Kangaroos. So there's definitely a... Um, there's definitely a history there, and we can we can we can play off that. Whereas you won't sure there's been rugby league for decades in in WA, for example, but that it's not quite the same sort of history and and love for the game and passion for the sport. So there is an opportunity there. You, you seem hesitant to hint at where you think the next club should be, but I want to sort of dig into that and see what you think because it's opportunities maybe to talk about you know what we mentioned earlier about Christchurch as an area as a, as a rugby union stronghold that. Is starting to look at rugby league. Um, the other one, obviously, is Wellington. Um, uh, to, to be fair, Wellington, Christchurch, other two that I would think, you know, the NRL would be looking at seriously. But but tell me if there's another area that we should be looking at too. But let's unpack that a little bit, man. Where do you think we should be heading, or where do you think we could be heading? Yeah, 
if there was, you know, to, if we were to assume that, you know, the next club is going to be a Kiwi club. Yeah, I kind of talked myself out of the Wellington yeah. uh, expansion place, but I, it, it will be either Wellington or Christchurch. Wellington would work fine. Um, there's, like, there's plenty of rugby league talent from Wellington. Jerome Hughes is from Wellington. Nelson Asoka Solomon is from Wellington. Joseph Tapani is from Wellington. So there is that level of um, pedigree and talent. There is like a, a strong core community there. Um, going back a few years, I think the Bulldogs took a few games to Wellington, and we're, we're seeing it now because the Black Caps are playing England in cricket, and Ben Stokes was at one of those games wearing a Warriors uniform and supporting the Warriors. So Love it. Um, Unfortunately, I've seen that image a few times over the past week as they <laughs> smoke us in cricket. But um, that is to say, there is that community in Wellington. There is that core base. Um, Wellington and Christchurch both are both commercial hubs in New Zealand. Obviously, Wellington's the capital. Christchurch is only heading upwards after the earthquake and some terrible stuff that has happened in Christchurch. So they're moving up, and they, I think Christchurch is going to get a bigger stadium soon as well, which could be a factor because um, they've kind of got a temporary stadium that has worked well after the earthquakes where the Crusaders played, where the Warriors played the Storm in their trial game a few weeks ago. And so there's the business, the commercial Support and structure in those cities. So it will be either of those cities as far as kind of Wellington is the bottom of the North Island, so it is close enough, it is far enough away from Auckland to be a viable entity in the same way that Christchurch as a team based in the South Island would. Um, digging into and thinking about it more, the only issue might be that it's harder to fly to Christchurch. I don't know what kind of actor that might be, but... Mm. Um, and talking about Redcliffe, like they, as you said, they have had a long, illustrious history. They've got the pathways already there. I think that after, like, as the NRL became more professional, the Redcliffe pathways just seemed to feed the Broncos. But now they've been able to regain control of that pipeline. So I'm not sure how that would look for an expansion team. And if the Warriors are just starting to get those junior teams competing in New South Wales Rugby League, something like that would need to be in place for the expansion team. Like you can't just have a NRL team there without the reserve grade, without under-21s or under-19s. You would need those teams below that NRL level as well. And as we're seeing with the Warriors, the Warriors haven't done that. Had The Warriors haven't had... Held Matt's SG ball jersey flag because of how expensive it is. Yeah. So that would need to be a factor to come into consideration for the Wellington team or the Christchurch. And that's where I guess, like you said, ownership comes into play. Like, where would an owner be interested in in shelling out that sort of cash? And it also gets, you know, if the NRL is hinting at New Zealand, like if they know that's where they're going, they should be open about that and planning for that right now so that all of those pathways and can be in place um if i was to put you on the spot you know 18th club you get to choose christchurch or, or wellington i reckon christchurch yeah i agree with you man i know wellington like i learned recently and this is a dumb aussie thing 
right? You're going to think I'm a dumb Aussie, but I learnt that the drive from Auckland to Wellington is nine hours. So that's like, I guess, almost as far as Sydney to Brisbane. So that would, I'm comfortable with the, the, the gap there. But for me, it's Christchurch as well. Um, there is that, I know the Crusaders are huge there. I know it's massive rugby territory, but uh, let's let's unpack that, man, because you mentioned that league is starting to turn some heads in Christchurch. Um, let's unpack that a little bit more. Tell me, tell me, tell me what you meant when you mentioned that earlier. It's like there's a there's a de- it's it feels like the second biggest club grassroots community area in New Zealand, and that might just be by nature of having a bigger population than other areas like the Waikato, Northland. But compared to Wellington, like I think the grassroots kind of premier rugby league community is bigger than Wellington. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of talent. Like the Gotcha. Sorry, man. I just lost you there again. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, just, go, yeah. Going back, you just mentioned before we sort of got cut out, you mentioned that, um, you know, Christchurch grassroots is probably larger than Wellington. Yep. Um, but there's also, like, a lot of good players coming out of there. So, and an interesting point is there's a there's a kid, Tanner Stowers-Smith, who is a starting prop for the Warriors SG ball team. And then there's another kid, Oliver Lowry, who is, he's been playing halfback for, I think, Balmain, aligned with the West Tigers. They're both rugby league juniors who were in the Junior Crusaders Academy last year. So you're also seeing across New Zealand, but specifically in this example, Christchurch, a lot of kids grow up playing both codes. So you can't necessarily look at it as union versus league and some of these kids are playing the, both codes. They'll play league on Saturday, Sunday and union on mm-hmm. Saturday. They'll be playing representative footy for the Crusaders. They'll also be playing representative footy in league. Um, and like the talent in Christchurch across all sports is elite in New Zealand. And now you're just seeing so much more NRL talent coming through Christchurch. It used to be like uh, Jermaine Sarko was recruited from First 15 Rugby in, in Christchurch. I think he's got a rugby league background as well, but he joined the Sharks quite early on yeah. in, in the niche case journey. Uh, Jordan Rickey, as I said earlier, he was a high-profile kind of Kiwi NRL talent, snapped up by the Broncos. Uh, there's the Fa'atili brothers who are playing junior footy. Felix Fatatili is scoring a try every game for the Sharks SG ball. So there is like there is already that Kiwi NRL talent that has been is being recruited from Christchurch and uh, there's other players like Jack Sanford who is a fullback. He might be like the New South Wales Cup fullback for the Raiders this year. He was recruited directly out of first fifteen rugby from Christchurch. Yeah, wow. So yeah, it's it's from all angles. You've got NRL teams recruiting just first 15 players. They're recruiting players that have the dual background. They're recruiting the elite rugby league juniors. Yeah, and specifically in Christchurch, 
that though that variety and that mix of talent and and the quality of talent are some key indicators that I'm aware of that t- that inform me about the uh, the rugby league community in Christchurch. It's huge, and and back to the broader sort of question. You know, one of the original parts of the question that inspired this episode: what needs to be done to compete with union for player talent? It sounds like the NRL rugby league is competing. Um, because, as you say, most kids are playing both codes. But what is it that you think you know determines or can can spur a kid one way or the other? Like, is it money? Is it opportunity? There's more NRL clubs than than Super Rugby clubs. Um, what is you know? But I think a lot of these young kids probably do aspire to play for the All Blacks one day. Is that still as big as it was? You know, what what is the psyche behind? kids making a decision today in New Zealand? All Blacks is definitely, uh, it might be the pinnacle, but you're also seeing how easy it is for a lot of these rugby union players to leave New Zealand and give up that All Blacks dream to pursue, to make more money. Yep. So I'm not saying like the All Blacks dream is diminishing, but I'm noticing that the All Blacks dream isn't enough to keep every player in New Zealand so that's just an interesting thought the, I think it's all about pathways and opportunity and like contracts and development I think that's a massive one that just to go a little tangent here that the NRL all these sports are competing for the best female talent because all these female athletes you'll see it in Australia as well like maybe Elise Perry she grows up playing football and cricket dual international like these females are able to they grow up playing <coughs> multiple sports yep. basketball cricket rugby league rugby union um, there's a few NRL W players who are uh, playing the women's super rugby right now like their ability to play multiple codes is exceptional so if I'm the NRL everything about NRLW needs to be uh, streamline to make it the most attractive proposition for the best female athletes and I think that's something they're missing with uh, the current contract negotiations and mm. CBA stuff Like, if you just cater to the female athlete as best as you can you're going to attract the best talent because that isn't happening in other codes and to bring back to rugby league versus rugby union it's just the opportunity, like, and I think back to the, because there was the under twenties phase where you had the national under twenties competition yep. aligned with the NRL. A lot of kids uh, wanted to play under twenties because that's how that was just a better opportunity than what was there in rugby union because there is a gap between first fifteen rugby union and playing. MPC, which is the level below Super Rugby. Like, there is a gap there. Whereas in Rugby League, you could play under-20s and you're on TV, you're quasi-professional, like you've got some professional stuff around you. Or you can be, like, there's opportunities for other teams to see you, scout you, recruit you. So I think that's something that Rugby League has an advantage is there are multiple levels of development that I don't know rugby union is changing and improving that but I think 
think also like NRL salaries are probably higher than yeah. Super Rugby salaries. Yeah. So that's another another factor as well. That you might be on a minimum NRL salary, earning more than a solidified rugby union player in New Zealand. All those factors combined, I think rugby league is a is already an attractive proposition for a lot of these cross-code athletes. Yeah, definitely. That, look, Union have that problem in Australia too, from, from schoolboy first 15 to, to super rugby. There's there's not a really clear pathway or much in between compared to league anyway. I know they have their pathways, but compared to rugby league, it's just doesn't compare. And then you look at all blacks like you know Adi Sevilla, guys like that, flirting with rugby league whenever their contract negotiations come up, and that could be strategic, of course, but... You know, there's definitely guys, all blacks, that are talking about, you know, they've, they've achieved so much and, you know, they might want to try them a hand in the NRL because I say it all the time, but the NRL, it's whichever rugby code you look at, the NRL, NRL is probably the greatest rugby competition in the world, um, both codes. So why wouldn't you, if you're a supreme athlete, if you're an all black, like why wouldn't you look over the ditch and say, hey, you know what, like I want to prove that I'm the best amongst the best. So... That, to me, is something that, you know, I know the All Blacks is the dream, but there's something about proving yourself amongst the best that, you know, when you're an athlete, that means everything. So that's that's really interesting. We talk about the All Blacks and how it's the pinnacle, but I want to talk about the popularity of the Kiwis and the Kiwi Ferns because um, I don't think those brands will ever reach All Black um, levels, but, you know, how popular are the rugby league versions in your mind it's a bit uh, I don't think as popular as they could be a lot of that is like again connection to the community so this I thinking back this was a major problem ahead of the 2017 World Cup where the Kiwis underperformed and it was a bit diabolical yeah they didn't play games in New Zealand prior to that World Cup so there's no connection to the community there. The players, you know, aren't shaking hands with the kids. The kids aren't looking up to um, those players necessarily, although that now is changing. Like you're seeing a lot of passion from the players to represent the Kiwis. And there was the Ronaldo Molotalo saga where he almost played for Queensland. But ever since that happened, I just look at his passion to play for New Zealand. Mm. Whatever his reason is, whatever his why is, he is an extremely passionate player for the Kiwis. And that's all you can ask for. The interesting thing is how Tonga and Samoa fit into that equation because by nature, like a lot of these players are Samoan and Tongan. Yep. They are born and raised in Auckland and many of them is the same. They're born and raised in Sydney and Brisbane. So they're Kiwis eligible and they... I think so if there's a player born and raised in New Zealand Australians might look at him as a Kiwi but those players like I I believe this is a fact but I always say like Auckland is the Polynesian capital of the world yeah there's so many Polynesian Samoans, Tongans Nauans Cook Island Tokelau like it's, it's all here and those players are very passionate about Tonga about Samoa they grow up playing in these tournaments where it's under-16 Samoa versus under-16 Tonga. It's under-16 Tonga versus the under-16 Māori team. And those cultural 
Like those are the foundations of grassroots rugby league in New Zealand, the community um, connection, all those things are really important. But as far as the popularity of Kiwis, well, we've seen the Tongan supporter base, the Red Sea, mm. completely wipe out any Kiwi supporters at Mount Smart Stadium. So it is a, I don't think it's like a, a bad sign for the Kiwis as far as their popularity goes. Like, let's be honest, you get, you become more popular by winning. Yeah. So the Kiwis are starting to win games, so that will increase. But I think it's a, maybe a strength of rugby league in New Zealand where you can have New Zealand versus Samoa, New Zealand versus Tonga, and those those games are going to be big games for the area, for the community. And this will all happen for Women's Rugby League soon as well. Like, there's a yeah. lot of Kiwi fans who are Samoan and Tongan, but there's no Samoan and Tongan teams competing at the World Cup. So they're going to play for the Kiwi fans. Yeah. Once there's a, uh, an efficient and effective Tongan women's team, a Samoan women's team, you're going to see, see that kind of talent scatter between those nations and again like it kind of sounds bad for the Kiwis and Kiwi fans but again there's more than enough talent for everyone like that's a key idea with the Warriors and the NRL there is more than enough talent for everyone there's a surplus and abundance of talent so it's all good and I think it's actually a strength of the game and the community in New Zealand where you're going to have those kind of teams all firing but they go back to play for a grassroots club in New Zealand. Yeah. So that's the most important thing is they're in the community and you might see a, a Tongan representative in their community. It doesn't matter if he plays for Tonga or if he plays for New Zealand. Like He's an elite rugby league player that the kids can look up. I love that, man. And you touch on something that I say a lot or a couple of things that I say a lot. And one of those is that you can't be what you can't see. If there's no visibility, you know, if the Kiwis aren't playing in New Zealand, like the Kangaroos, when was the last time the Kangaroos have played outside of the World Cup, right? It's ridiculous. But if they're not playing games regularly, then, you know, how can you support or get behind or aspire to be part of? You know, it just doesn't make any sense. But And, and I don't know what... I don't know what the recipe is, but like you just said, I'm certain the ingredients are... Kiwis, Matema, Toa right? Um, and I think those ingredients can form something as big as State of Origin is over here. Um, I genuinely believe that. Um, so I, I don't, again, I don't know exactly what the answer is, but I know those are the ingredients. Um, and the NRL, New Zealand Rugby League, Pacific Nation, like there needs to be some collaboration and some thought into that and and a push in that direction. Um, I think that's really important. Um, I guess final question then to wrap it up because I just realised we're almost heading towards that hour and uh, you probably want to have some lunch or something, man. But um, I'm grateful for this time. It's been a wonderful chat. But the last one for me is uh, World Cups, right? So New Zealand's had very success. They've won one. They've had a terrible World Cup in 17. They did a bit better this year, obviously. Um, or last year, I should say. Um, I'm a big believer that New Zealand could host and needs to host a World Cup. I think that would be brilliant for rugby league in New Zealand. Um, and I've I've always pointed at like 20, uh, 2029. You know, we're going to France in 25. 
We're trying to figure out if 29 is like a Pacific World Cup or if it's a USA World Cup or if it's back in Australia or whatever. But I'm of the belief that New Zealand could do it on their own um, and it makes sense for them to do it on their own. I had a similar chat again with Greg Peters two years ago. He said probably financially not ready for it. But um, I want to get your thoughts. Um, a World Cup in New Zealand sooner rather than later is it possible and would it have an impact? It's definitely possible and it would have a massive impact. And to take that like a bigger picture, I think a lot of people think about rugby league because rugby league isn't a as global as rugby union, which we both probably know, but the everyone talks about rugby league expansion, global expansion, and I I like it. I want to see rugby league around the world. I want to see USA rugby league. I want to see um, you know, South African rugby league, wherever it is. I want to see the global game grow. But there's so much that can be done as far as low-hanging fruit, the foundations of rugby league, because we think about Tonga, we think about Samoa. Most of those players were born and raised in Australia or New Zealand. So there isn't a flow of players coming from Samoa or Tonga. So my idea with Rugby League expansion is if we just look after the places where Rugby League is right now, and I, I include France, like there is Rugby League in France right now, look after it, nurture it, grow it, so that is a really solid, stable Rugby League nation, Italy, uh, Scotland, Ireland, like all those nations, we can look after them. And I think you could do that maybe with the Rugby League World Cup. If it was hosted by New Zealand, there's no reason why Samoa or Tonga couldn't host one pool game each, let yeah. alone two, three. Like, there's no reason why Fiji couldn't host uh, World Cup games in conjunction with New Zealand. Obviously, those teams will play as the host nation. To me, that is the easiest way to grow rugby league is making it front and centre for those nations because their success, like Samoa's success and Tonga's success at the 2017 World Cup, I don't know what that's actually doing for Rugby League in Tonga. I don't know what it's doing for Rugby League in Samoa. It's doing great things as far as Samoans and Tongans from New Zealand and Australia wanting to represent those nations and play for their teams. But for rugby league expansion, those nations already have high-profile rugby league teams. So why not bring them into the mix and have players from those nations? I think Fiji's doing this really well. You're seeing players come from directly from Fiji into NRL systems. I think there is the, the Silver Tails. The Silver Tails. Silver Tails, yeah. Yeah, they compete in an Australian, in the New South Wales competition. That's fantastic. So that might be something to look to as far as growing rugby league. And I think that can happen for a World Cup that New Zealand hosts. And I I also think New Zealand can just host a rugby league World Cup without any worries by itself. But I think the most beneficial thing to do would be New Zealand hosts the World Cup but there's at least one game for Fiji, Tonga and Samoa in their home nations to help grow the profile of rugby league in their, in their country. I couldn't agree more, man. That is the roadmap. Uh, Troy Grant, I know you listen to this. 
uh, other people from International Rugby League, I know you listen to this. That's the way. No need to worry about anything else for now for 29. That's the way. Let's do it. Um, Scotty, we're, we're just ticking over the hour, man. I could talk to you all day about this stuff, man. So I want to yeah. say thank you. Um, I'm sure our listeners will love this as much as I have. Um, and, you know, first time on the pod, you're welcome back anytime, man. If there's ever anything New Zealand-based rugby league that you want to talk about, give me a shout, and, and I'm sure I'll be in touch in the future as well because this was a wonderful conversation, and hopefully we have many, many more of them, mate. Thanks for chasing kangaroos with me. Anytime, mate. Appreciate the platform, and keep up your good work. No worries, man. I'll give yourselves a plug. Where can people follow you before I let you go? Where can they follow you, the niche cache? Where can they get more of this sort of um, great reporting? And journalism. Uh, the website is theniche-cache.com. Uh, you search the niche cache on YouTube. Our podcasts are all there, and Twitter and. It's just at the niche. Beautiful, mate. What an awkward, what an awkward time for us to cut out. I'll add uh, everything to the show notes for anyone that does want to follow along. But um, Scotty, mate, keep doing what you're doing. And as I said, thanks for chasing kangaroos with me. Go the Warriors. 